Hi everyone, I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth, and this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Denise Woodward, founder and CEO of Partake Foods, the allergy-friendly food company. After Denise's daughter was diagnosed with several food allergies, Denise was frustrated with the lack of healthy snack options that were both safe and delicious. So she left her corporate job at Coca-Cola and set out to make her own. Passionate about getting safe food into the hands of food insecure families, Denise partners with organizations like No Kid Hungry to provide access to the food, education, and advocacy these families deserve. As a black female CEO, Denise is passionate about raising awareness of black and female entrepreneurship and increasing opportunities for underrepresented people seeking careers in the food and beverage industry. In 2020, Denise founded Black Futures in Food and Beverage, a fellowship that mentors students and helps them secure internships and jobs at the program's end. In this episode, we chat through Denise's journey of how she built her brand from selling out of her car to eventually getting on the shelves of Whole Foods and Target. Denise shares tips about the importance of starting small, why it's important to bootstrap in the beginning, and her path to getting investment from Jay-Z and Rihanna, her lessons on asking for help and admitting what you don't know, how she looks at a successful company, and the positive impact that they've made. Keep listening to hear all the details about Denise and the wonderful Partake Foods. I know a lot of you out there love a great nut butter, which is why I'm so excited to share with you my all-time favorite, Nutso, the original mixed nut and seed butter brand delivering amazingly delicious blends of nuts and seeds in every jar. Nutso is a women-led business driven by the passion of founder and CEO Danielle Lavolsi, who in the process of solving a personal nutritional problem created a whole new product category. Danielle was actually our very first podcast guest, so if you want to hear all the details of her story, head to the very first episode. Nutso's products are a total upgrade to regular mono butters, mixing in nutrient-dense nuts and seeds like Brazil nuts, almonds, chia, and flax, and not adding any sugar, thank God, so the products taste amazing. I love having it by the spoonful, or of course, putting a dollop on top of my purely oatmeal in the morning for some good fats and protein. I also love that Nutso isn't just about making great food products, they are equally passionate about their nonprofit, Project Left Behind, and its mission to provide food, shelter, and vital resources for underprivileged children. So I highly suggest you stock up on your new favorite nut butter, and you will definitely thank me later. Nutso's products are non-GMO project verified, gluten-free, palm oil-free, soy-free, refined sugar-free, and some varieties, peanut-free, tree nut-free, and organic. You can find Nutso in retailers nationwide like Costco, Walmart, Kroger, Whole Foods, as well as Sprouts and Irwan, and online at Amazon, Thrive, and Nutso.com, where you can get 30% off your order with code NUTSOPE at checkout. That's N-U-T-T-Z-O-P-E at checkout on Nutso.com for 30% off. Enjoy! Denise, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today as we were just chatting. We haven't met yet, although I feel like we absolutely should. So this is the perfect time. Excited to have you on today. I'm so excited to be here. I'm such a big fan of the podcast, of the brand you've built. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. 
Wonderful. Well, let's dive in with your story. And I know I've heard some of it. It's it just brings back like such warm fuzzies hearing some of your your journey and like packing up your car and doing all those things. I can totally relate. So I'd love to dive into really the inspiration and what got you to start Partake. Sure. So I spent most of my career in consumer packaged goods. I worked at Coca-Cola and I had the opportunity to work in their venturing and emerging brands group where I got to work on brands like Honest Tea. And honestly, I had no intention of leaving. It felt like the perfect mix of like entrepreneurial and like this like big company process that I was very used to. And my daughter came along and she's almost seven now, but right around her first birthday, we learned that she had a lot of food allergies. She's allergic to tree nuts, eggs, corn, and bananas, which is also a very odd bananas. Right? Interesting had, twist to that. I had one food allergy ever in my life. It's gone away, but it was to bananas. So I knew that one was possible. And, and so I was really frustrated with the options that existed for her from a taste perspective, from a nutritional perspective, frankly, from a brand coolness perspective. And after complaining a lot, our nanny, Martha, who has some equity in the business, was like, I'm tired of hearing you complain. You should do something about this. And that is where the idea for Partake came from. And that was in the summer of 2016. So moving earlier back to your time at Coke, had you always been in food career-wise or was that a, a second part of your career? I had a previous life in supply chain where I worked for FedEx and I realized how much I don't love supply chain. <laughs> um, that is kind of, given the current environment in 2022, I'm getting a PTSD from how much I don't like supply chain. But um, I had a chance to work at Coke in a variety of roles. And initially I worked on like Coke Diet, Coke Sprite. And as my husband and I started thinking about having a family, I didn't feel great about selling brands that I didn't want to share with my own family and was really grateful for the opportunity to move into that other segment of business where there were brands that I really did believe in and really did want to choose for myself and for my family, like honesty. So you have this idea, your nanny's, hey, you got to do something about it. What was the moment then? Certainly we all have ideas, but that you really went from, okay, great concept to moving forward and taking that leap. Sure. It was almost like something out of a movie. Martha had made this suggestion. And then the following Saturday, we were at the zoo and we were in line and I was telling my husband, Jeremy, you won't believe the idea that Martha had. And this man in line in front of us turned around and was like, it sounds like you have a great idea, young lady. There's a pitch competition and it's called the Start Something Challenge. It's for New Jersey small businesses and you should enter. And that was a Saturday. And the deadline to enter was that following Monday at midnight. And I went home and I incorporated an LLC and it was called Vivi's Life LLC. I called my daughter Vivian Vivi and I didn't know what I really wanted to create other than I wanted to make Vivi's life easier. And so I created the LLC. I entered the pitch competition. We won, which was insane. Wow. Um, it came with $10,000 in seed capital, which was great. But probably more importantly, it came with some local press. And the last thing I needed was my employer to hear me in the new local newspaper talking about this great new company I was starting. So it forced me to tell them what I was doing. And it gave me an ultimatum of, yeah, it's great while it's an idea state, but once you have an actual product you're selling, you got to hit the road. And so it gave me a kick in the butt that I probably wouldn't have had the courage to take on my own. So it was the man at the zoo in the pitch competition that started it all. I love that. I feel like for me, and I feel like talking to so many other people, 
there's so many of these kind of meant to be moments. And I don't know if you've continued to have that throughout the journey of partake, but it's just, it just feels like it's so meant to be, right? A hundred percent. I think there's been so many times where I feel like I am at the end of my rope and then something magical happens. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be on this path. Yeah, it, it really just reinforces like believing in the process and everything being meant to be. Definitely. So after you tell work, and I think that's also a huge part because there's so many times where you can get stuck in like being at your job, having an idea and not necessarily taking that leap. So it certainly forced your hand, it sounds like, which was really helpful. Where did you go from there in what were the steps to actually launch? So we... That was in the summer of 2016. I spent the next year moonlighting where I would work early mornings, late nights, every single weekend to figure out how I was going to make this product and where I was going to make it. Because if I was going to leave this career that I loved, I wanted to make sure that I was creating something scalable. And so finding a co-packer and finding a food scientist after Martha and I fail horribly in the kitchen (laughs) um, to commercialize the formulas were the two kind of big pieces. And also what's the name of the company and what are the first products and what's the value proposition. So I spent a year doing that. And then in the summer of 2017, I left my job at Coke. I launched Partake officially with three SKUs of cookies and we were a self-funded, self-distributed business. Well, it sounds like you certainly probably had that year to put it all together. I'm sure that there were pieces of your experience at Coke that helped, but at the same time, What was it like all of a sudden realizing, hey, I don't have all of these resources and it's just me? (laughs) Interesting, because I think my experience at Coke gave me enough confidence to feel like I understood enough to be successful. But when I actually got into it, I realized, oh, my gosh, how much I didn't know. But I think that was one of the reasons we started small. I knew that my family's own capital was on the line. I had to watch every single penny. I had to understand how the business worked, who was buying the product, why they were buying it, what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. And so because we started so small, I feel like it gave me a little bit of freedom to do a bit more exploration. Whereas had we launched like nationally with a big retailer from day one, like there wouldn't have been room for mistakes or we would have probably gone out of business. And so I got a quick lesson in all things business, whether it was accounting or marketing or sales. I remember there was a very long period of time where I created these alias email addresses like accounting at partake and marketing at partake and then i realized the gig was up and i just everybody emailed me at my my personal email address and i wanted so bad to seem bigger than we were but now looking back on it i think the small way that we started is what makes our like is why we're still here today yeah i think that's so important it's funny i i did that too i still own the info at purely elizabeth email still <laughs> is still my personal or one of my personal emails i just like couldn't get away from it but i do think starting small in your neighborhood or area where you can really focus where you can demo and really get that feedback what other tips do you have for people starting out and really harnessing that incubation period, I guess. Sure thing. So I think you nailed a lot of it in terms of constantly getting constant feedback. For me, a muscle I had to get really comfortable with strengthening was asking for help. 
I can't believe how generous people in the natural foods industry are with their time and resources and connections. And so getting comfortable telling people what I didn't know and asking for help and asking if they could connect me to someone else to help me with this other thing um, proved to be so, so valuable. I think talking to other founders, it's one thing to talk to someone whose business has scaled beautifully. It's also really valuable to talk to folks whose businesses didn't make it for whatever reason. Because I think when things are really rosy, it's harder to remember what you wish you would have done or what you wish you wouldn't have done. But when you talk to someone whose business may not have succeeded for whatever reason, they remember all the things that they wish they wouldn't have done. And I feel like I learned a lot of lessons in those conversations as well. I think that's a great point. What were some of those lessons that really resonated with you of like, hey, don't do this or this didn't work? I think some of the shiny stuff, like seeing like the out of home subway ads and seeing the huge Expo West booths and all these things that I was like slightly jealous that we couldn't do were not things that were providing ROI for where our business was at the time. So I think that's one thing. I think staying true to who we are and why we started the business and not being afraid to like speak up for causes that are important to us is another thing. We've gotten so many suggestions along the way of, well, why don't you create a keto line? And then why don't you create this type of line? And why don't you do that? And which is like fine and dandy for other folks, but like Our mission and our company is about making allergy-friendly products that taste good, that are made with ingredients that you can understand. And so making sure that I didn't waver too much away from that based on feedback I was getting from people. That's great feedback. So let's dive in a little bit to your ingredients and and around kind of that mission of allergen-free, et cetera. What are some of those guardrails and, and some of your favorite products of yours? Sure thing. So I'll start with favorite products because I was going to bake a batch last night, but I think now that I'm talking about it, I definitely will today. (laughs) Um, We launched cookies initially, but we've since come out with some breakfast mixes and baking mixes. My favorite product is our brownies kind of because they're so decadent and fudgy. And then my favorite product for functional use is our five-in-one baking mix because it allows me to get a very fast pancake breakfast out to to breakfast for my daughter every day. What's Um, her favorite product? Probably brownies. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> chocoholics over here. There was another part of the question that you asked me, Elizabeth. My brain is so mushy. What was the it's first okay. part of the question? Uh, guardrails around ingredients and kind of your approach to the ingredients that you use. Sure thing. So as a food allergy mom, I have seen, unfortunately, firsthand how severe food allergy reactions can be. And so being an allergy-friendly brand is not something that we take lightly. We make our products in a top-nine allergen-free facility. Our products are all top-nine allergen-free. We have third-party certifications where available like gluten-free and vegan. We try to work with as many single-source suppliers as possible so we can reduce the risk of cross-contamination as much as possible. So I think across all points of our supply chain, We are trying to reduce the risk as much as possible. We also test our finished products for gluten, for peanuts. We're looking to expand that to additional testing in 2022. And we make sure that our team is very well trained on what we have and we don't have what we don't have in our products so that we can answer our consumers' questions intelligently and safely. That's awesome. I think that community that's so important i'm sure as you were first getting into it with your daughter realizing that it is this community of allergen um, free and those looking for easier better ways that they can especially provide for their children 
Definitely. So a lot of trial by fire because I don't have any food allergies and, and growing up, I didn't know many people who did. And so to, to get ingrained in the community very quickly ha has been uh, a rewarding but interesting experience. So as you think about building the brand, I'd love to hear about your approach because it certainly feels like from the outside that you've done an amazing job and you've like come into the world and you're all over the place now. Obviously it's, it's way more difficult than that, but we'd love to hear about your approach to building the brand and really how you went from being in a couple stores in your local community to growing from there? Sure thing. Baby steps. We launched that first year. And for a year, I sold cookies out of my car and I did demos nearly every single day. And while that was like such a grind, it was probably one of the most valuable experiences in our company's short history. Because one, it opened my eyes to how much broader our business could be. I started partake as like a frustrated food allergy mom quickly I realized that there were other people who were gravita gravitating towards the product, people who were experimenting with a gluten-free or plant-based diet, people whose kids didn't have food allergies but needed a school-safe snack, people who wanted to support a woman or Black-owned business and then fell in love with the product. And so it was a really rewarding experience, but I knew that eventually we would want to scale past that. And so the next year, we went into a region of Whole Foods and we went into Wegmans. We launched Whole Foods in Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Louisiana. It it was important to me. I thought to create something really scalable, you had to show that it worked outside of New York, LA, Austin, Boulder. So we went there and we launched Wegmans. I think the other reasons were I was the only employee and we didn't have a very sophisticated marketing strategy, but we knew demos worked well. My husband's side of the family all lives in Texas. So I had a lot oh, of free brand ambassadors that worked out really nicely. We also couldn't afford any, any syndicated data and both of those retailers have portals. And so we went to those retailers and we ran the same play. Um, and thankfully we got a really positive response. And then in the summer of 2019, we raised our first round of institutional funding, a million dollar seed round that gave us the, the capital we needed to scale the business a bit more and really still finished 2019 as a regional brand, kind of trying to build pockets around that Southwest region and Whole Foods. So adding uh, retailers like Central Market or trying to build in the Northeast around our, our core home market. And then in 2020, our distribution expanded fairly significantly Significantly. We finished the year in about 5,000 stores. We added retailers wow. like Target nationally. Yeah, it was a busy year in the middle of a pandemic going from a team of one to five. So we, we had our work cut out for us. And thankfully, in 2021, we were able to continue to grow that footprint and go deeper with our cookies. I'm thinking about seasonal offerings and different pack sizes and, you know, how could we have a product? How could we share our product with customers at different occasions? And so thankfully, the numbers have gotten bigger, but the, the mission behind the product and the business have stayed the same and that's where we've been. Just thinking about you talking about getting into Whole Foods in the one region and then to Target, it again, I, I feel those moments. So I'm curious to hear if those were, I mean, I'm sure they were totally memorable. Like when you got that email from Whole Foods and from Target of getting in, I'd love to hear kind of the highlight of that because it, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. 
when I get that Whole Foods email, I will forever be grateful. He's not at Whole Foods anymore. David Kellogg Woods. He wasn't. Oh, he was one of my buyers. Yeah. He he wasn't even a cookie buyer, but I remember emailing or LinkedIn messaging every single person that had the title category manager at Whole Foods. And he got back to me and he put me in contact with the right person and she took samples and she said yes. And I remember like running around my house screaming like a lunatic (laughs) because I was so excited. Similarly with Target, we had been talking to them. Gosh, we met Target in the bathroom line at Expo West in 2017 with Ziploc bag samples. And we nurtured that relationship and we kept them posted on every single great thing that was happening. And then when we were in our review meeting in 2019 for 2020 placement, I thought, well, maybe we'll get a small test of 100 stores. And we got the business award and it was 1600 stores. And I was excited, but I was also like, oh my God. Like I called our director of ops, who was our only other employee at that time besides me. I'm like, can we actually do this? And I remember not understanding like the labeling requirements and things and our, our manufacturing like helping, like bringing family members into the facility to help label, to be able to get our product out the door for that first target fill order. So that one was as exciting, but a little more nerve wracking. Yeah. So exciting. And it's just like, you know, that this is going to be changing the total trajectory of your business, those little moments. And I think it's so important, like people like David Woods, it's like, he truly changed your your business without that one, again, it's coming back to those moments of inflection and being meant to be. A hundred percent. It's amazing how the right yes or the right email forward can totally change the trajectory of your business, of your life. It's, It's crazy. Totally. So you mentioned taking that first seed round. I'd love to hear a little bit about the process. Certainly you bootstrapped in the beginning and I can totally relate to that and, and, feeling like you're putting in that last piece and you're like, what am I doing? But at the same time, knowing in your heart that this is going to work, but would love to hear that process for you on bootstrapping to seed round to eventual bigger investment that you took and how that's been for you. Sure thing. So we bootstrapped it as far as we could. I remember, and I do not necessarily recommend this, but like you said, some part of me believed it was, it was meant to be. So I, I kept going, but We maxed out our credit cards. I put my 401k into the business. I I still have a wedding band. I don't have an engagement ring anymore. I sold that. Like we were all in to the point where we didn't have anything else to invest into the business. And at that point we worked to raise a friends and family round and I don't have any accredited investors in my family. So I use that term loosely. It was my husband asking his colleagues, me asking my old colleagues, and it was five and $10,000 checks from people who believed in our business. And we were always about to run out of money, but somehow the light stayed (laughs) on. Um, And then we raised a million dollar seed round in June of 2019. That was after about a hundred no's. And so that point that we were talking about earlier, how one yes can totally change your trajectory. The yes we got was from Jay-Z and from Marcy Venture Partners. And so they led our round and it has been an absolute fantastic dream working with them. We've had several other industry veterans join us like John Forker, who's been an amazing sounding board for our business. And so that round of funding gave us the capital we needed to begin to hire a bit and to to grow. And then at the end of 2021, we raised a $5 million series. Wait, 2021. No, at the end of 2020. Sorry, I'm losing <laughs> track know, the years year. are confusing. <laughs> <laughs> they are so confusing now. It all runs together. At the end of 2020, we raised a million dollars. Excuse me. Geez. At the end of 2020, we raised a $5 million series.
phase A, and we got to continue to partner with folks like Marcy. We brought on new investors like Circle Up Growth Partners, and it was really important to me that we got as many women and people of color or funds devoted to investing in women or people of color on the cap table. And so those groups took up about 50% of the round. And so I feel really fortunate to have a group of investors that I think value purpose as much as they do profit. And it's been interesting because along the way we got so many no's, but now I realized they were meant to be and we are working with the partners that we are meant to be working with. So a couple of questions around this, I guess, first on the bootstrapping, would you, looking back, would you do the same thing and would you have any tips for people kind of in that stage? I would probably have a better appreciation for how long it takes to raise money. So would I have gotten to the point where I sold my engagement ring? Probably not. (laughs) However, I do think that there's value in bootstrapping. One, like fundamentally, I don't think it makes sense to take someone else's money for an idea that you're not sure is going to work. And so if I were to do it again, I would bootstrap. I also think the discipline that is created when you don't have any money is really special and makes you really pay attention to every single data point and makes you like very disciplined in how you run your business. So I'm a big proponent of bootstrapping. Would I have done it as long last, if I were to do it again? Probably not. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's so important to, I think you see some businesses who take a lot of money early and maybe to your earlier point of you have this big fancy booth at Expo, you have all this stuff that you don't, you don't need and need to really be focusing on the things that matter. So once you've, you went through that phase and then started working with investors and that whole process, any tips that you have for, you know, attracting, certainly you mentioned Jay-Z and Rihanna, these exciting people any tips that you have around that space for someone who is looking to do that? Sure. I think it goes back to not being afraid to ask for help. I remember a friend of a friend worked in the music industry and I was like, do you know anyone who could maybe help us? And Marcy Venture Partners was just getting started and we got introduced to one of the partners there and hit it off immediately. And I think the reason we hit it off after getting so many no's was because I wasn't afraid to be who I was. I wasn't afraid to talk about where I was from and how that was affecting or would inform the way I would grow this business and how mission and impact oriented I wanted this business to be and how I didn't wanna cut corners around things. Whereas I feel like as I was on the angel circuit pitching to large groups, it was just about the numbers. And don't get me wrong, I think the numbers are super important, but I think to have a successful relationship with an investor, it's important that they're aligned with your longer term strategic vision and that you and them align on what success looks like because success to different people can be very vastly different things. Totally. And it is so hard to hear no. I mean, we just went through fundraising and hearing anybody say something negative about your baby is, is just, it's hard. Definitely is. We're going through that, right? We're going through a fundraise right now. And I'm reminding myself that we both said so many times, like everything that is meant to happen will happen, but gosh, it's so personal when it's your baby. Totally. So as you just said about being aligned on success, I'm curious how you look at success and what that, I think, especially, I don't know, especially, but as I think about having that big company background and it's like, maybe you're used to seeing success 
as launching a product and it being at $10 million in year one, which obviously isn't realistic for any company who's not Coke or General Mills, et cetera. So how do you think about success and what's making the company successful? Sure. I think about internal and external things. So I definitely do have a lens on revenue growth and margin profile and what that needs to look like. But I also, when I think about our company goals, it's about employee retention. It's about employee engagement. It's about the feel of, am I creating a workplace where people are excited to be here and they feel like they can be themselves? It's about our social impact and how many organizations are we supporting and in what ways and are we being transparent about that with our consumers? So I definitely think like we are not a nonprofit. We are here to, and we have to like, I think there's- Sometimes it feels like, that way. <laughs> So I, I feel like making sure we ground ourselves in what the important business metrics are that determine success. And for us, a lot of what we're looking at is revenue growth, is looking at margin, is looking at cash burn, is looking at velocity. But I think it's also a lot of the, and I don't even want to call them intangible. It's are we with the growth that our business is having growing the positive impact that we're having? That's great. So let's talk about the positive impact pieces because those are really the more fun parts. And that's the why. That's why we're really doing what we're doing. So we'd love to talk a little bit about the fellowship that you have, which sounds amazing. And then about your team too, because that's such an important piece as well. Sure thing. So we started the Black Futures in Food and Beverage Fellowship in 2020 when we were a team of three. I remember looking at our VP of Marketing and saying, are we crazy for doing this considering the <laughs> team of three? It's like, probably, but we think it's the right thing to do. And it came from my experience at Coke. I think oftentimes I was the only person of color in so many of the leadership roles and that was frustrating. And then when I went to hire for Partake and to build out that team, I wanted to make sure we had diversity in terms of gender and ethnic background and like all the ways. And it felt like the applicant pool was very homogenous. And I thought, well, what can we do to create a change there rather than sitting around and complaining? And so we partnered with five historically black colleges and universities, and we modeled our curriculum very similar to, we were fortunate enough to be a, a part of the Chobani incubator 2018. And so we modeled it after that. It's eight weeks of kind of soup to nuts on different parts of the CPG industry. And to that point of people in the natural food space being so willing to devote their time and energy and resources, we literally have more volunteers than we have like time for, which has been amazing. <laughs> That's so nice. Um, and been fantastic. And so we culminate, I hope at some point in person, but kind of given the current situation, it's been a virtual career day at the end where we help the fellows find an internship or full-time job at a company. And we've had large companies like PepsiCo and Beyond Meat attend, as well as like small emerging brands like um, Mason Dixie Foods. And so it's been a really rewarding experience for me. I hope that it creates a tiny bit of change in terms of the diversity that exists in the food industry. And when I think about our team, we're hoping that we're modeling the diversity that we'd like to see in the food industry. Our team is 90% women, so we probably have more room to take it to gender diversity there. <laughs> Us and 60% <laughs> people of color. And it's been really fantastic to work with. It, in my career, I'd never managed a person, let alone like a whole company and a team. And so it's been such a rewarding, crazy, fun experience. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. So is that going to be something that happens once a year or yeah? 
yep, it'll be annual. And we typically open applications at the start of the school year. So kind of like August, September, and then the cohort runs for the months of October and November. And our goal is to help those fellows find a summer uh, internship for the following summer. That's great. I love that. Thank you. So as you think about team and now managing, would love to hear any of your kind of favorite things and maybe least favorite things of now being a leader of the company. Sure. So I think my favorite thing is the fact that I kind of get to lead by example, like in terms of being vulnerable about what I don't know and what I'm still figuring out and showing up, like having to miss something because I might have to go to my daughter's play at school or whatever it may be. And hopefully modeling those things so that my team feels comfortable saying, hey, I don't know how to do this. Hey, I need support here. Hey, I have a sick kid at home. And so I think that's been one of my favorite things. Learning experiences, understanding that each person is so different and what motivates each person is so different and what each person wants their career to look like is so different. And so taking the time to understand that and be able to craft and create a really tailored approach to to managing each person has been definitely interesting. And really just working to create a culture where people feel like they can show up as themselves because I think like, and there's so many studies that say this, so I don't know why it doesn't happen more, but I think diversity of thought is what makes businesses so strong. And so trying to create a place where healthy discourse is supported, because that's the only way we're going to get better. Totally. So as you think about the word better and getting better, I'm curious to hear what you do personally to be better, to feel your best as you think about kind of wellness overall and what that means to you? Sure, I'm gonna say it out loud because it'll keep me even more honest about it. I just signed up for a half marathon, I think. Congrats. Um, Is that your first or you've done? I've only done one other one and it was in the summer of 2016 when I had the idea for Partake. I had this idea that it would be like very symbolic of the business that it's like running a marathon, which geez, it really is. But (laughs) then I didn't realize that it was like an all encompassing marathon. And I think my fitness fell to the wayside and it definitely had an effect on my physical and mental health. So really like recommitting myself to, to making time for that. Meditation has been an absolute game changer. I think if I had the foresight to see these things in advance, it would be really great. But I got to like a mental breaking point when we were raising our seed round where I was just like so overwhelmed. And so making a point to not let myself get to that point again with tools like physical, like moving around, getting outside. And so I wish that I was in a place, I love New York, but as beautiful as Boulder, because like the hikes and things that you're able, that you all are able to do, like I'm trying to find ways to spend more time outside. Yeah. I feel so fortunate. I mean, moving from New York to Boulder to have the mountain a mile away is, is just so lucky. So when you mentioned meditation, curious if you have a specific practice to that or, or really going into what your morning routine might look like or your night routine, if you have any rituals that you have. Sure thing. So from a meditation perspective, I started practicing transcendental meditation. Gosh, this is 2022 at the start of 2021. 
I will say my practice wanes and kind of like I have like a strong week and then I, I miss a week here. And then I always, I have the app Calm on my phone. So their daily, uh, daily meditation is super helpful for me. In terms of morning routine, I like to meditate in the morning and get a workout in, whether it's like a Peloton yoga class or it's a stretch or it's like a real high intensity workout. And then it's kind of a not relaxing juggle of getting my daughter up and getting breakfast made and getting her out of the door. And then in the evenings, I just got one of those higher dose sauna blankets and it has been really helpful for my evening routine and getting me relaxed. And so I usually do that with meditation and maybe sometimes a side of a glass of wine later. I love that. I actually just recently got that as well. Curious how long you go in the higher dose blanket for. I'm 35 minutes at a level eight is where I'm at right now. And do you keep your arms in or do you keep them out and do something with them? Well, that was the problem. I was telling someone that I wasn't really sweating and it's because I was keeping my arms out and now I'm like fully committed to getting the straps over my shoulders and really getting in there. And so it made a very big difference in my experience. All right. Sounds like I need to be doing that as well. (laughs) Well, we're going to move on to some rapid fire, starting with if you could have a partake cookie with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Michelle Obama. I'm such a huge fan of hers. What is the best advice that you've received to help your business? I'm talking to this person right after we record this. Seth Goldman, the founder of Honest Tea, told me to just get started. I remember I was still working at Coke and he was, I was like, what distributor and how do I think about this and what price point and what value proposition? And he's like, why don't you just get started and then you'll learn from your customers and you'll get feedback and you'll iterate. And so the idea of just getting started was great feedback for me. Love that. Three random things that you're currently loving puzzles. I feel like they're a great way for me to kind of clear my mind. There's a a woman owned small business called Jiggy that makes the most beautiful puzzles that partners with like local women artists to to create the puzzle art. So love them. I'm trying to cut back on my caffeine. And so I've switched to an oat chai latte in the afternoons and it has created a really nice afternoon ritual for me. And is it a, a specific brand that you're having or? You know, I'm on a quest, any brand, so I've been trying to find different ones. I sometimes okay. I make them at home. Sometimes I go to my local coffee shop. So I'm trying to find my perfect one, but they're, they're all, they've all been good so far. And I'm also trying to eat less meat. And my friend Ibrahim, the, the brand of Dozen Cousins, their beans make it so much easier. So I've been loving their Cuban black beans. I love those black beans. They're so, so good. good. They've good, I think they're not refried beans, but maybe something like that. Anyway, what do you want more of in your life? Time outside. Instead of being stuck to the computer, I need to do more walk and talks. I need to like, there's beautiful areas in New York, like the Hudson Valley. It might be a little cold right now, but I I need to spend some more time outside. What do you want less of? mindless social media scrolling. I spend (laughs) way too much time. I think sometimes I can like blame it on work and like really it is like work related too, but I I think I get too far down the rabbit hole. For sure. A meal that you'll never forget. 
Oh, that's a good one. You know, last Christmas, we were able to be together safely with my parents and my in-laws, and we hadn't seen them for so long, or gosh, anybody kind of given the COVID or the Christmas of 2020. And so to be able to sit down together with our family after not seeing them for so long and just have a very large, traditionally Southern, mostly unhealthy holiday <laughs> meal was fantastic. <laughs> what was your favorite part of the food that you made? I'm a big turkey person because I don't really eat turkey outside of like Thanksgiving or like Christmas. So I would say turkey, actually. Uh, I'm a big turkey gal. Nice. Your favorite partake moment? I think seeing the product on shelf at Target. And I think at that point, my daughter was old enough to kind of understand that like this company that got started because of a problem that our family was having had made it to the big leagues. And so that was a really exciting moment for her, I think, and for me. What is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Time with my family and friends. I think that does like wonders for my mental health. So really taking the time to get away from my phone or computer and like be in the moment with my daughter and my husband and our close friends is really important to me. Love that. So in closing, what is next for you? What we're at the beginning ish of 2022. What, what do we have to look forward to this year? We have some new products coming into retail. You'll find our products across more retailers. We just announced a national partnership with No Kid Hungry. And with our commitment, we'll be able to feed over a million children. So I'm super excited wow, about that's that. Awesome. I'm so happy about that. We'll be back for our third cohort of our, our fellowship program. So excited to see the business grow and then excited to hopefully get to be able to support some underrepresented and underestimated communities that could use it. That's so exciting. And lastly, I know that we have a discount for listeners so they can try all of your amazingly delicious products. Yes, the discount code is LIVEKINDLY15 and you can use that at partakefoods.com for 15% off any order. Perfect. And where can people find you in store? We are in Target and Kroger and natural grocers like Whole Foods and Sprouts. And of course, on our website, Partake Foods, and then on Amazon. Wonderful. Well, Denise, thank you so much for spending the time today. It was so nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for letting me share the story. It was, it was really great chatting. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.